I have the privilege to introduce um, all the way from the United Kingdom, Justin Brierly. He's the host of Unbelievable, a weekly faith discussion show and podcast which brings Christians and non-Christians together in conversation and broadcast on Premier Christian Radio in the UK. So I'm excited this morning. Everyone give a warm review. Welcome to Justin. Wow. Good morning. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to be here with you this morning. And I bring greetings from Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth, obviously, uh, to her loyal subjects here in, in California. Um, now, it's, it's, it's wonderful to be here because I'm here actually on vacation at the moment with my family. Uh, my wife and three of my kids actually uh, didn't make it up uh, quite early enough this morning to, to join us here. We're staying down in Newport Beach at the moment, uh, which is a lovely place in California to be staying. But I have got my, my uh, oldest son, Noah, who can give us a wave here. Uh, so Noah's... Noah's here as well. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm here really at the invitation of both Mel and uh, Tyler, uh, Tyler Gaffney, who, uh, who runs a, a, a brilliant organization, Ratio Christi. And um, really, we've got to know each other because of the, the radio show and podcast that I run and host in the UK. Um, I don't know about you, but um, sometimes Christians get tongue-tied when it comes to having conversations about faith with skeptical friends and family and neighbors. Often it's those kinds of conversations with someone who doesn't share our faith that we often duck because of the hard questions that are involved, because of sometimes the objections that people raise to faith. And really I started the unbelievable radio show as a way of helping Christians to have better conversations with people who don't share their faith. I've got a slide up on the screen coming up which shows me, um, well first of all this, this is uh, the book uh, that I wrote about that. I'll talk about that in a little little bit but um, the next slide is is just a picture of me in studio Um, premier christian radio in london in england is a a christian radio station that's been going about 25 years now we don't have nearly as many as you guys do here in the states so we're one of only about two stations christian radio stations in the uk Um, but i wanted uh, about 13 years ago i went to the managing director of the station and i said we're doing a great job at talking to Christians about Christian things, resourcing them in their life. But what we don't tend to do very much is model how to have good conversations with the people they spend most of their lives with, you know, their friends and neighbours and family who are not necessarily Christians. Uh, I don't know what the picture looks like here in California, but we just had the latest survey come out in the UK uh, just a few weeks ago, which showed that now more people self-identify as atheists, as people who don't have any belief in God. Uh, as, as people who identify as Christian, there's more atheists now in the UK than people who self-identify as Christians. And, and that's the kind of landscape we've been getting used to, increasing secularization. And so inevitably, the kinds of people we're spending a lot of time with, cheek by jowl in the UK, are people who don't share our faith. And so it's important that we learn how to communicate effectively with people who don't share our faith. And that's really how, why I began bringing Christians and non-Christians together in studio to have those kinds of conversations. Uh, I've got uh, another picture here of uh, some of what we do on video. Um, this is uh, us in our video studio. Uh, on, the, on the left-hand side, the gentleman there is Hugh Ross, who's a well-known astrophysicist. He's a Christian. He founded an organization called Reasons to Believe, helping to put science and faith 
together. And he's in conversation with the gentleman on the right of the picture, uh, Peter Atkins. He's a well-known Oxford atheist scientist. And they had the most marvellous debate uh, about where the laws of the universe came from. Um, and those are the kinds of discussions we love having on the show. And I'm there in the middle as the moderator, trying to make sure that both sides have a fair say as we talk about these issues. Uh, what's interesting is that although I began the show on a Christian radio station primarily aimed at helping Christians to explore and to communicate their faith more effectively, in fact, as we began podcasting the show so that people began picking up the program wherever they live in the world, uh, it was interesting that more and more non-Christians, more and more atheists started tuning into the show that way. And one of the most frequent comments I would get from non-Christians who listen to the show is, you would never normally catch me listening to Christian radio, but your show is the exception, Justin. And I think that's because we've aimed to give this kind of neutral space for both sides to have their say. And I think it's important when you're having these conversations to be willing to listen to the other side. And that's what we aim to do. It's not always comfortable listening, but I think over time what it gives Christians is the tools, the ability to hear, to listen, to think through the arguments and to have a more confident conversation on the other side of that. I'm glad to say that we're actually uh, coming to um, America, coming to California specifically in just a couple of months time. Uh, my next slide uh, shows Unbelievable Live in LA. It's happening in Costa Mesa. So if you can come along on the 11th and 12th of October, we're going to have a live edition of the show on the Friday evening at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, where we're being hosted. I'm going to be joined by a wonderful Christian thinker called Professor John Lennox, who is just one of the most extraordinary individuals you'll ever meet. He's uh, an Oxford professor who's got a, an amazing uh, academic mind, but has the most wonderful way of bringing across uh, Christian ideas as well. And he'll be in conversation with uh, a secular Jew called Dave Rubin, who runs something called the Rubin Report, which is a phenomenally popular online talk show, really. Uh, and so they're going to have a conversation on faith, atheism, and culture on the Friday night, the 11th. And then 12th of October, we've got an all-day apologetics conference, where we're inviting speakers from both the UK and USA to share with uh, those present how to have better conversations, how to defend our faith, how to answer some of the big questions that society often throws at us. So if you can come along, we'd love to see you there. Tickets available now. Uh, Unbelievable.live is the place to go to book your place. Now, if there's one um, verse that really sums up the ethos of my show, and it may be one you're familiar with, it's 1 Peter 3.15. says this, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. And uh, that's really what the show is all about, helping Christians especially to give the reason for the hope that they have and doing it in this dialogical format where we bring people together for dialogue and discussion. And really, um, the end of the verse, which is often the bit that gets forgotten in today's contemporary conversations, is an important one, gentleness and respect. It's about having something that's fruitful, something that's worth listening to, and that involves listening, as I mentioned. I think we could do with a bit more gentleness and respect in some of our conversations in culture today, couldn't we, when it comes to politics and social issues and religion. And really what we've tried to do on the show is to model something that looks attractive, not just that we have answers to some of the difficult issues we discuss, 
but that we also model uh, an attitude that actually is Christ-like because I often think that um, people are not just listening to our arguments, they're looking at the way we're acting as well. The way we say things matters just as much as what we say. And so I've tried to do that myself as I've hosted this show. Uh, Many, many people have come on board over the 10 plus years that we've been doing it on podcast especially. And uh, we now have more listeners in North America than in the UK, funnily enough. Um, so it's been, it's been great to see the way the show has been embraced by so many people on this side of the pond. And the show has really um, grown up in the shadow of one very well-known atheist called Richard Dawkins. got a picture of him on screen here. He is a biology professor, again from Oxford, who wrote a book called The God Delusion about 10 years ago, in which he made the claim that religion is really just fairy tales, okay? Anyone who believes in God, who believes in Christianity especially, has to basically check their brain at the door when they go into church. But I don't believe him, and I don't think you should either, because I believe actually that our faith calls us to engage our mind. You know, Jesus said, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. We're called to use our mind. And that's really what I'm aiming to do through the show, is to help Christians engage the mind along with the heart when they explore their faith. And that's why I wrote the book um, that came up on screen earlier. About 10 years into doing the show, I did a kind of ask me anything type of episode where I invited listeners to send their questions in. And one of the most frequent questions I got was, after 10 years of hearing objections to Christianity from some of the world's leading non-Christians and atheists, why are you still a Christian, Justin? And so the, the book really was my answer to that explaining my own case for faith after having hosted these conversations for so long. I think we we do have some copies, I think, uh, after the service available if anyone would like to to get hold of a copy and I'll happily sign any as well. Um, But what I wanted to give you just in, in the rest of the time I've got with you is just where you could start when it comes to having a conversation with someone who simply doesn't share any of your beliefs, okay? Someone maybe a bit like a Richard Dawkins. Um... I'm going to lay out a case that I make in my book for why I think God is the best explanation. Uh, I've got a slide here just laying that out. God is the best explanation. Three reasons why I think God is the best explanation. Now, why do I use this terminology of God being the best explanation? What I've come to realize in the course of doing the show is that everyone has what's often called a worldview, a way of looking at reality. And you may be a Christian sitting here. And so you have a worldview in which you are created by God. The universe is here because of God. We're here with a purpose. And we believe that God was made known to us in Jesus Christ, came and lived with us, died for us, rose again so that we could have new life. And if you like, that's our, in a nutshell, our worldview, our way of looking at reality. And very often the atheist will say to the Christian, well, you've got to prove all that stuff to me. And I'm just going to sit over here and just wait for you to, you know, present the evidence, and then I, I might have a, have a thought about believing it. But I don't think it's quite like that. I think that the atheist as well, the person who doesn't believe in God, they've got a worldview of their own as well. It's not like they're just the neutral person waiting to be presented with evidence. They've got a way of looking at the world themselves. And, and most of the time, the terminology that I would use for this, most atheists I meet tend to be what are called naturalists. Someone who believes that all that ultimately exists is uh, the, the laws of nature, uh, matter in motion, the forces of nature, energy. That There's nothing supernatural about the universe. 
This is all there is, just, just the stuff that makes up the universe. It didn't come from anywhere. It's not really going anywhere. There's no overarching purpose or narrative. But that's got a few interesting repercussions, which we'll come to in the course of this. Because if that's your worldview, if you're an atheist, if you're a naturalist, then you've got to defend that. Why do you believe that? Why do you think that's the way reality is? A lot of people don't agree with you. So I think what we're doing is, when we're, when we're presenting people with the case for Christianity, we're saying there are different ways of looking at reality, and you've got to choose which version fits best with the evidence we see around us. Is it the Christian worldview, or is it the naturalist, the atheist worldview? And we're given the job of looking at the evidence together and deciding which is the best explanation of reality. And in my view, Christianity wins every time. Here's three reasons why I think it, God makes best sense of reality. First of all, first reason, God makes sense of human existence. Now, there's a familiar mantra, and it's especially spread by people like Richard Dawkins, that science equals atheism. Okay, That's been the big, if you like, a sledgehammer that religion has been attacked with, that science has disproved God, that the more we know about science, the less reason we've got for believing in God. But I, I think actually there's a bit of an untold story here, which is that actually it's going in the opposite direction. The more we understand about science, the more reasons we're being given to believe that there is really something at the center of this all, that it requires an explanation, that there's something curious about the universe we live in. Um, one of the most extraordinary things I discovered early on in doing the show, especially inviting scientists from both sides of the debate to come on, was something called the fine-tuning of the universe for life. I don't know if this is a concept you've uh, come across yourself before, but I found it absolutely fascinating, the idea that there are certain values and constants, fundamental forces, which from the very beginning of the universe had to be just the way they are in order for us to be here. Now, it's a really big concept, so I thought I'd try to boil it down into a short video. So just for a few minutes, I'm going to let the video do the talking, and then I'll come back. Some people say that human existence is a result of a roll of the cosmic dice. Like the gambler who stakes his life savings on the next throw, we just got lucky in the lottery of life. Some people say there's no purpose in the universe, no grand plan, no God behind it all. Our numbers just came up and here we are. But I don't believe them, and nor should you. If I roll this dice, the chances of getting a six is one in six. That's not too bad. But what are the chances of me rolling six twice in a row? Well, the odds get longer. It's one in six times by one in six. That's one in 36. So I'd have to be pretty lucky to get two sixes in a row. Now, every time I add the chances of rolling another six in a row, the odds go up exponentially and it gets even more unlikely. Now, what if I rolled this dice 70 times and every single time I got a six? Okay, that's pretty unlikely, but it's possible, right? Well, in fact, the chances of rolling a six 70 times in a row are around one in 10 to the 55. That's a one with 55 zeros after it. Now, just to put that in perspective, how long would I have to stand here rolling this dice, allowing about five seconds per roll, before hitting that lucky streak and rolling 76s in a row? Well, I had a mathematician friend work it out for me. 
On average, you would have to continually roll this dice for 100 trillion 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 years before your numbers come up. That's a long time. What if you applied that thinking to us? What are the odds of us being here? Now the odds of rolling 76 in a row, 1 in 10 to the 55, as it happens, those are the same odds of something called the expansion rate of the universe being just right for the existence of us here today. From the moment of the Big Bang, when our universe began to rapidly expand, the rate of that expansion was exquisitely finely balanced. Any faster, and the universe would have expanded too rapidly to allow the formation of chemicals, atoms, stars and galaxies. Any slower, and the universe would have collapsed back in on itself. But as it happens, the universe expanded at just the right rate to allow for life to develop in the future, for us to be here. It hit 70 rolls of the number 6 in a row, first time. And the expansion rate of the universe is just one among 30 or so other incredibly sensitively finely tuned constants and fundamental forces in the universe that must be just the way they are for the universe to be able to produce us. So let's imagine, if I went ahead and rolled this dice 70 times and what do you know, every time it came up 6. No waiting for trillions upon trillions of years, first time. Beginner's luck? Hardly. You would assume that I must have rigged it. Maybe the dice are loaded, maybe there are sixes on every side. It can't be chance. Now let me ask you, why would we assume that this universe with us in it, which is actually way more improbable than my 70 rolls, is just a result of chance? The fact that we're here shows that someone's loaded the dice. In fact, maybe there's no dice at all. What if the evidence points to this life-permitting universe actually being the product of an intelligent mind which intended for us to be here. Now you could come up with some speculative other theory. Maybe there's an infinite number of universes giving you an infinite number of chances to roll the dice. Maybe. But we don't have any scientific evidence for it. So if you're hanging your hat on that possibility, then you're every bit as much committed to a faith position as the person who says God was behind it. Believing in God isn't a delusion. It's a perfectly reasonable conclusion when we look at the fingerprints on our universe. And if it's true that we aren't just the fluke result of a cosmic roll of the dice, and that we're actually here because a grand designer intended us from the very beginning, well that's worth staking something on. Thank you. It's a phenomenal thing, but it looks for all the world like we're meant to be here. In fact, I, I had a, a listener who got in touch to say they'd been having certain doubts about their faith. And this video really helped them to put a few things together. And they, they'd got a, a dice tattooed on their wrist, believe it or not, to remind them that they're not here by chance. And, well, the Christian story makes sense of these facts in science, not just these facts, but so many other aspects of what we know about the universe, that it came into being, the, the, the kind of biological makeup of, of life, uh, the complexity that's involved. There are so many factors that I think point towards a designer and not away. So when it comes to what's the best explanation for us being here in the first place, human existence, I don't find that the naturalist has much to go on. I don't think it looks, I don't think it looks like we came from randomness. I think it looks like we're the product of an intelligent mind. That's why I believe God makes best sense 
of human existence. But here's another one. Number two, I think God makes best sense of human value. Now, this is where we go from looking out there in the universe to looking within us for evidence of God. I want to tell you a story. In 1973, there was a wealthy businessman, James Jaramillo, and he was walking along the streets of Bogota in Colombia when he saw a young girl climbing down uh, into the sewers below through a manhole. And he was intrigued, so he went home, put on a wetsuit, and followed her down there. And to his amazement, he discovered living under the streets in these filthy, rat-infested sewers about 90 street kids. And the reason they were there was that off-duty policemen were killing them on the streets above. One officer put it like this. He said, killing these kids is like killing lice. We call them the disposables. Now, since then, James has rescued hundreds of these street kids, and he's put them in a loving Christian community where they receive an education and a livelihood. And like me, I'm sure you find that story both challenging and horrifying and also inspiring horrifying that one human could do that to another person especially a child and also of course the example of that James set that he did the right thing the human thing but the question that should raise for us is why why do we believe that human life should be valued why is the life of those street kids in Bogota Colombia the ones at the very bottom of the trash pile just as important as the life of a, a wealthy billionaire in their penthouse apartment. You see, on atheism, I think it's very fine, hard to find an answer to why we believe in intrinsic value, human dignity. Because if we are just the random, if you like, result of the roll of the dice, if we're just one more part of the evolutionary tree of life, then there is that big question, why should we value human life over and above a louse? I had a really interesting conversation, I'll bring his picture up again, with Richard Dawkins, who I mentioned earlier. The first time I got to interview him, again, this is probably the most famous atheist in the world, was shortly after he'd had a debate at Oxford University with Professor John Lennox, who I'll be bringing out to California in a couple of months' time. They'd had a great discussion on God, faith, and science, and I finally managed to get hold of my very first interview with Dawkins at the after-show party, and we had a really interesting conversation one part of which was on this whole issue of human value. This is how the conversation went. <clears throat> I said, Richard, if we'd evolved into a society where rape was considered fine, would that mean that rape is fine? And he said, well, I don't want to answer that question. It's enough for me to say that we live in a society where it's not considered fine. We live in a society where selfishness, failure to pay your debts, failure to reciprocate favours is regarded askance that's a, a, a society in which we live. I'm very glad that's the society in which we live. Uh, that's a value judgment, but I'm glad I live in such a society. And I responded, but when you make a value judgment, don't you yourself immediately step outside of this evolutionary process and say the reason this is good is that it's good and you don't have any way to stand on that statement. And he responded, well, my value judgment itself could come from my evolutionary past. And I replied, well, therefore, it's just as random, in a sense, as any product of evolution. And he said, you could say that, but in any case, nothing about it makes it more probable that there's anything supernatural. And I, I finished by saying, okay, but ultimately, your belief that rape is wrong is as arbitrary as the fact we've developed five fingers rather than six. And he said, you could say that, yes. And you could say that, 
And if you're a consistent atheist like Richard Dawkins, you should say that. But why does everything within us tell us that's not right? That's wrong. It's not just the happenstance of the way things have worked out that we believe that rape is wrong. It's because we believe there's something intrinsically wrong about doing that to another person. We believe there are ways you should and shouldn't treat other people. Where does that come from? Because according to Richard Dawkins, there's no particular reason why we should believe that. That's just the way things happen to be. And if one culture develops a disregard for human life and ends up killing kids on the streets, well, that's just the way the world is. So why do we believe that's wrong? And why do actually most atheists I meet believe that's wrong? I don't think atheism gives us any kind of satisfactory explanation for that belief in intrinsic human value and dignity. But on Christianity, there is a ready explanation. It's that you are made in the image of God. And that gives you infinite value, infinite dignity. So much value that he came in person, in the person of Jesus Christ, to die for you and to be raised again for you. That's why I believe that Christianity, I believe that God makes best sense of human value, that innate sense of human dignity that we all believe in somehow. Number three, I think God makes sense of human purpose. I don't know if you've heard of Jennifer Fulweiler. Uh, she grew up in a loving family, got a picture of her here. But she grew up in a family where religion was painted as clearly false. She says she never remembers a time growing up when she believed in God. She was raised on a diet of science, faith, and evidence-based reasoning. Her bedtime reading was Carl Sagan's book, Cosmos. And she remained a happy atheist into the early years of her married life. And then something happened. She had her first child. And shortly after the birth of her first child, she experienced a dramatic shift in her thinking. And Jennifer describes it this way. She says, I looked down and thought, what is this baby? And I thought, well, from a purely atheist materialist perspective, he's a randomly evolved collection of chemical reactions. And I realized, well, if that's true, then all the love that I'm feeling for him right now, well, that's just chemical reactions in my brain. And I looked down at him and I thought, that's not true. That's not the truth. And that moment was a turning point for Jennifer that led her on a journey that eventually ended up in Jesus Christ. And she realized that the story that atheism, atheism tells is, is a very different one from the one that Christianity tells. You see, Dawkins has again very neatly summarized the atheist perspective on this. I'm going to quote him verbatim. He said this, the universe we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is at bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. And he's absolutely right. If there's no God, then that is the universe we should expect, where there's, there's no ultimate purpose, there's no ultimate right or wrong, there's no ultimate goodness or evil or beauty or truth. It's just whatever happens. But that's not the universe I see when I look out. I see a universe stacked with purpose and love and beauty and right and wrong and good and evil and purpose and hope. I see a very different universe to Dawkins because I see a universe where all humans experience a yearning, a yearning for something that goes beyond ourselves. Where does that come from? Where does that innate desire for there to be a purpose to life come from? I love the way that C.S. Lewis puts this. He said this, a baby feels hunger, well, 
there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such a thing as water. People feel sexual desire. Well, there is such a thing as sex. And he concludes it saying this on the screen. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. And I think he's got it. I think that's absolutely right. There's something within us that says there's something more. We were made for more than this. The writer of Ecclesiastes put it this way. He said, you have set eternity in our hearts. And another well-known Christian scientist, Blaise Pascal, a mathematician, said, there is a God-shaped hole in the heart of every person and it can never be filled by any created thing. It can only be filled by God made known through Jesus Christ. You see, I believe that atheism and Christianity, they're telling two very different stories. You see, one is of ultimate purposelessness, and that's just the way it is. You can't get away from that. And the other is telling a story of ultimate hope. They say there are two things, psychologically, that we can't do without in life, that we give up on life if we don't have one of these things. Love and hope. I find it very difficult to see how you can ultimately justify either of those on an atheistic worldview. But on Christianity, you have them both because you've got them in Jesus Christ. Love on the cross, the most supreme act of love we could ever possibly imagine. God himself coming to give himself for his creation. That's the ultimate expression of love. And the ultimate expression of hope is his resurrection, that we have new life because of him, that this is not the end, that there is a hope and a future for each of us. You know, I've met many atheists in the years of doing this show. And let me tell you, they're almost invariably intelligent, honest, good people. I'm not, I'm not downplaying atheists in anything that I've said today. But I do have a problem with their worldview. Okay? We see things very differently. I find it very hard to believe that the rational and ordered universe in which we find ourselves is heading nowhere and has come from nowhere. I find it impossible to conceive that our intrinsic belief in human dignity and value is merely an illusion. And I also can't convince myself that our search for meaning and purpose, which we find in all times and places and cultures, is simply in vain. To me, it makes far more sense to see the fingerprints of God in the universe out there and in the emotions, desires, and deepest longings of our heart in here. That's why I'm still a Christian after 10 years of talking with atheists, because I believe that God makes the best sense of the evidence that we all see around us. And I hope that the next time you maybe have a conversation with someone, there might be some place to start in this. The person who loves to talk about science, the person who feels deeply convicted about social issues, the person who's asking those big questions about purpose and meaning and longing. These are all places you could start and say, why do you believe what you believe? Let me tell you what I believe too. Thank you so much for listening. It's been great to be with you this morning. And God bless you. Thank you. Perhaps just before um, the, the service leader comes back up again, I could just pray for you guys uh, before, before I go. And uh, let we just, let's just come before God and say, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have given us minds to approach you with. We believe in you with our heart, but we also open our minds to you, to trust you, that you lead us forward. And 
whether we're facing those kinds of difficult conversations with loved ones, family members, or whether perhaps we find ourselves not yet having put the pieces together when it comes to the God question, I pray that in this way, through these kinds of issues, in these kinds of ways, the evidences you've given for yourself, the door might be open just a crack, just enough for us to be able to step on, step over the threshold in faith and to trust that you are there waiting for us on the other side. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Can we thank Pastor Justin? Let's stand together and sing this last song. Shout to the Lord, all the earth, let us sing. Power and majesty, praise to the King. Mountains bow down and the seas will roll at the sound. elders and home group leaders up front to pray with you. If you need prayer, please go in peace and live this week.